Greetings, podcast universe. This is Gary Stern. And this is Lucy Sang. We are the co-hosts of After the Glory podcast. Every elite athlete has one thing in common. Their careers on the field of play will only be a tiny fraction of the life of meaning and purpose they hope to live. As UCLA alums from different generations, Gary and I have discovered that the stories of these great athletes go far beyond their statistics. It is our pleasure to share these stories with our listeners. We hope you will enjoy this latest episode of After the Glory. Welcome back to another edition of After the Glory. This is Gary Stern and along with my podcast partner, Lucy Sang, we are privileged to welcome as our guest today, the one and only Mr. Dodger, Mr. Baseball, Steve Garvey. Steve is one of that select few elite athletes who more than three decades after his retirement from the game is known throughout the baseball world as if he just retired yesterday. Steve played Major League Baseball with the Los Angeles Dodgers and San Diego Padres from 1969 to 1987 and was one of the game's most consistent hitters, especially when it counted the most in the playoffs and World Series. And Steve Garvey will forever be known as the National League record holder with 1,207 consecutive games played. Since retirement as a player in 1987, Steve has been a board member of the baseball assistance team, the owner of a communications and media company, and a sought-after corporate event motivational speaker. We hope you enjoy our conversation with baseball legend Steve Garvey. And Gary Stern and Lucy Sang here uh, with our special guest today, the one and only Steve Garvey. Steve, it's really a pleasure to have you on After the Glory uh, for this episode. My pleasure. Looking forward to it. Um, you know, we start most of our uh, uh, conversations uh, at the beginning because it's what shapes you uh, to become the elite athlete that you became. Uh, your story, of course, is unique because baseball became a part of you at a very early age. Tell our listeners about uh, how you started in baseball in Tampa, Florida. Well, my parents were from New York, Long Island, New York, and my uh, my mother's father, my grandfather, had a gas station on Route 27, which is out to the Hamptons. Great location. And uh, January of 1948, uh, he's up to his elbows in Greece at night. It's winter in New York, and one of his best clients comes in. And he says, hey, Joe, I got this motel in Tampa, Florida. I can't get there. Why don't we just swap this gas station for the for the motel, get you out of this bad weather and all that. And, you know, there's moments in our lives where we don't really think things through. And we go, that that's that's great. Let's do it. So uh, he calls up my grandmother and uh, she would have given him his opt-out clause if uh, <laughs> didn't love him so much. What are you doing? This is our business. So one thing leads to another. They decide to invite my parents to post-war and dad was doing a variety of things. Mom was a secretary. So they go down to Tampa and uh, there's a reason why the guy traded the motel. It was a couple miles off the main road, which led like a super highway up the east. And uh, something happened on the way though to, to uh, Florida, and I was born December of uh, 1948. Uh, the motel was essentially sold in February, and everybody decided to continue to live in Tampa. Dad ended up driving a uh, bus for Greyhound. Uh, Mom, again, continued to be a secretary. And then uh, the spring of 1956, uh, I was seven, and uh, Dad and two other gentlemen decided to start the second Little League in Tampa, Florida. And we all know what a hotbed Tampa Bay area is. So um, this was a Thursday. We were going to start, you know, on Saturday. But Dad comes home uh, uh, Thursday night, and he looks at me. He says, and I'm an only child. He said, do you want to skip school tomorrow? I said, 
Ted, you never said that before. What are we going to do? He says, well, I've got a charter tomorrow morning to pick up the Brooklyn Dodgers from the Tampa airport and take them to St. Pete to play the Yankees in an exhibition game. And, of course, it was the uh, spring after the Dodgers had finally beaten the Yankees in the World Series. They were world champions for the first time. They had finally gotten over the over the hump, so to speak. So the next day we get the bus, we drive to the tarmac of Tampa International Airport about eight o'clock and then at 8.15 in one of those beautiful gray pink mornings in Florida, this DC-7 prop jet banks and lands and it was the Dodger plane that had Dodgers on the side and a baseball on the tail and and I'm there and I had just started collecting Topps baseball cards. So dad and I were in front of the bus and I'm standing there with my cards and I'm looking at dad. He says, pretty neat, huh, Sonny? Hey, yeah. dad, this is fabulous. So a taxi's up. There was no concourses back then, if you remember. They pushed yeah. a ramp up and the door opened. And and, uh, and the first man off was uh, the great Walter Alston, the manager. And then it was Reese and Hodges. And I think it was Snyder and uh, Gilliam. And so I'm standing there. And, and my wife Candace and I did a book about seven years ago called My Bat Boy Days. And this opens the book up in chapter one. And I was standing there with my cards. And as each player came by, and we say in the book, it was almost as if they walked off the cards and came to life. And uh, and Hodges came by, and then Sandy Amrose came by. And then all of a sudden, almost everybody was biased on the bus. And finally, two gentlemen uh, are talking, and they're straggling a little bit. And uh, it's Roy Campanella and Jackie Robinson. Oh my! And for some God. reason, as they get to me, they stop. And uh, my dad's there with his gray uniform. It's got Joe on it. And Jackie says to my dad, uh, "Hey, Joe, he looks like a pretty good athlete." My dad said, "Well, yeah, he's, you know, we're starting Little League Saturday and so forth." And uh, you know, Jackie says, "Well, son, if you know, if you practice hard, maybe someday you'll be a Dodger." watch today watch and listen wow. and oh i shook my, my head and uh and then roy said those uh famous words that we all dread as kids he looks at my dad he says he a pretty good student joe my dad said <laughs> well you know he's uh he's struggling with his reading and and but we're working every night which essentially i was adhd but back then there was no adhd he was well, called you know kids were called hyper and yeah. can't concentrate so roy says well son you could be the best athlete but if you don't study and do well and have options, he said, you'll never make it. So you got to study too. So by the way, I, we all had flat tops back then. We had the wax that put flat top up like this. And everybody was looking at me and he patted me on the head to see if it was really this porcupine, so to speak. And, uh, and I always say, you know, don't pat your kids on the head. It'll affect the cerebellum or something later on. <laughs> My dad was 6'3", and I was always 5'10 after that. But so we go to St. Pete, we get off the bus, the guys are grabbing their bags, man comes out in some boxer shorts and a t-shirt, who's this man? It was a clubhouse man, John. And he looks at me and then my dad, he says, uh, hey kid, you want a bat boy? And I looked at my dad and he says, sure. I said, yes sir. So he said, get that bat bag out there and the balls, they'll be out in 15 minutes for batting practice. So bat bag was this high and dad helped me and we lugged him out. And yeah, you gotta remember, I'm an only child and, and so I'm pretty meticulous. I'm putting everything out and I hear, Mm -hmm. And I turn around, there's Mickey Mantle in the batting cage, hitting these towering home runs in the Tampa Bay. Wow. And I'm just mesmerized. And, and I'm standing there, and I hear, hey, son, you want to play catch? And I look, and it's Gil Hodges, the first guy I have. So I said, yes, sir. Yeah, I'd love to. I said, hold on. And, you know, 
My parents had got me a, a mitt. They were nine ninety nine back then, part of the Hyde Rawlings, you know, top yeah. of the line. So I struggled to get it off my belt because my mother said, you lose that and that's it. So I put it on and he tosses me a little arc and catch and I'm thinking, Mr. Hodges, I, you know, I can catch. I'm playing Little League. <laughs> and the next one comes and Ted, and I throw it back and I hear, and I turn and boom, ball hits me in the chest. And, oh. uh, and Mr. Hodges comes over and of course I wasn't concentrating. He said, uh, are you okay, son? I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, picks up the ball and he puts it in my glove. He said, uh, son, and I said, yes, sir. And he said, we're the world champions. And I said, yes, sir, I'll, I'll concentrate. Yes. <laughs> so that was my first, you know, first education, uh, you know, outside of my family. You know, as parents, we always look for somebody that, that kind of has our philosophy that supports us and another voice. And that day I got a chance to bat boy and you know, pick up the heavy bats and get pine tar on my hands and rosin on my shoes and sit on the bench next to Hodges and Reese and uh, I think fourth inning, Jackie Robinson is looking around, looking at the outfield, goes to sit down, he sits on my lap. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry, son, you okay? And I said, yes, sir, I'm thinking, Monday, show and tell, nobody's gonna believe Jackie Robinson sat on my lap. On that. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, that was my baptism. That night I went home and, you know, I it, sat down to dinner and mom said, how was your day? And I talked for 30 minutes, you know, kids don't do that. And they showed the autograph ball they gave me, the broken bats. And um, that night I dreamed about that being a baseball player and. 12 years later out of Michigan State, I uh, was drafted in the first round, secondary phase by the Dodgers. Manifested your destiny. I love it. This was a lot about, about dreams coming true because over those next you know six, seven years, I got to boy every, that boy every spring for the team. The team, uh, traveling secretary, loved my dad. And uh, so I, I was there for that transition from Brooklyn to L.A. and then when Fairley and those guys started to be on the team, but still it was – it was uh, Snyder and Hodges, the early days in L.A. So I saw that transition. And uh, and again, it was a time of, of growing up with your idols. Steve, uh, Lucy and I are going to take a break. We take a break uh, at this point in our broadcast. And uh, when we come back, I'd like to, before we get to the Dodgers, I think there are some significant uh, things to say about the days at Michigan State and how that uh, shaped you as, a, as an athlete and beyond. Uh, when we come back on After the Glory, this is Gary Stern along with Lucy Sang and Steve Garvey. Uh, we'll be right back. Thinking about a new or used car? Think Infinity of Thousand Oaks. We've been serving Thousand Oaks in Southern California for years. We have new, used, and certified pre-owned Infinity vehicles available now with many special offers. There's something for everyone at Infinity of Thousand Oaks, your home for the best deals on Infinity cars. With the COVID pandemic, we offer contactless sales. Call our office at 805-262-7442 or visit Infinity of Thousand Oaks. Oaks.com. Pick out a vehicle and we'll deliver it to your home or office with all the paperwork done with the power of the internet. Our award-winning sales and service team is waiting to give you the best service in buying a vehicle you've ever had. Call us today at 805-262-7442 and make an appointment for your new 2021 Infinity or visit our website at infinityofthousandoaks.com. Infinity of Thousand Oaks is a proud sponsor of After the Glory. Since 1980, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern has been known as a lawyer's lawyer, passionate about his clients and equally passionate about bringing honor, dignity, and respect to the legal profession. 
Gary Stern represents folks seriously injured because of healthcare negligence, defective and dangerous products and property, neglect in long-term care facilities, and careless operation of cars and trucks. He has successfully resolved hundreds of cases for his clients, providing them with the financial help they needed during trying times. Gary Stern is a member of the prestigious National Trial Lawyers Top 100, active with consumer attorneys of Los Angeles and California, and is admitted to the bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. And most important, I am proud to call him dad. You can reach Gary Stern at 818-710-2717 or visit his website at www.sternlaw.org. And we're back on After the Glory. Steve, tell us the moment you realized you could play baseball professionally. Well, we see, you know, when, you, when you're young, and, and of course, Little League was prevalent, and then it was Pony League, and then it was uh, Babe Ruth and American Legion High School, and you start to work your way up. And, um, you know, I was kind of a chunky kid, but uh, uh, I was always pretty much at the top of, of, uh, of each level. And of course, you know, I had passion for it because of my association with the Dodgers and I was relentless in doing all those things. Uh, and then once I, I got into high school, um, started to progress, uh, started to be at the top of that game, you know, of all conference and state. And uh, then I was on the radar for, you know, the professional scouts and thought that I'd go within the first three rounds out of high school. But I really wanted to play football and baseball in college. So uh, I had about 20, 25 offers. Uh, most of them were for one sport or the other. It was the beginning of, of single sport, you know, speciality, so to speak. A sure. uh, few, few uh, colleges were going to let me play both, but it was like uh, oh, Colgate and Kansas maybe. So um, finally our pitching coach in, in uh, high school had gone to Florida State and a coach by the name of Danny Litwell had been there, moved to Michigan State. And uh, he contacted me and said, you know, Coach Litwell, I would, would like you to come up and see Michigan State. So I went up there and um, Mom and I took a took a bus, the Greyhound, because there was an airline strike. And we got to the campus. Danny took us around. We ended up at Jenison Fieldhouse. And we're looking at all the trophies. And all of a sudden, the diminutive man, about 5'9", comes around the corner with gray hair and Pepe Darty, the great football coach. And he comes up and he says, uh, Danny, is this uh, this the kid from Florida? And Danny said, this is him. And he said, son, he said, we want you to play two sports here. You come here and you can play football and baseball. And by the way, we got 22,000 co-eds and I guarantee you a date on Friday nights. <laughs> so, um, which, which my Sold. mother responds by, Mr. Darty, that doesn't matter. What we care about is an education and, and, and CV's opportunity to to represent this unity playing sports. And you could see Duffy's eyebrows, right? <laughs> we want it more than ever now. And uh, you sure you don't want to come here and help us out? You know, we all laughed about that. But then, you know, I decided that was the place to me. And, uh, you know, for me, of course, playing football in Florida, you'd lose seven or eight pounds a game because of the heat and humidity. Going up there, I thought, oh, this is going to be cooler. Well, four seasons turned out to be slow, snow and ice, too. So. Mm. It was the best decision I ever made. I uh, I played uh, two years of football and then two years of baseball. At that time, you redrafted uh, after your sophomore year professionally. Uh, I ended up being drafted. And, and and by my second season at Michigan State, it became – oh, by the way, I was drafted by Minnesota at a high school, uh, first pick in the third round. They offered 10000 Of course, it was – I appreciated it, but 
I wanted to play. So go again, we know we went to college. So by, by the beginning of my sophomore year, I was really on the radar with the professional scouts that were covering colleges. And um, so I become all American third baseman. Uh, the draft comes up and I've drafted first round secondary phase. So in between there, and I never, I really never looked farther than the next step. And we have a Garvey 6.0 baseball foundation now. It's started last year, four teams, Huntington Beach area, um, teaching kids to, to be responsible, character, morals, good sportsmen, but to be good citizens. And um, so I, I started to think by my, you know, sophomore year uh, that this was a possibility. So I get drafted and, you know, that was the beginning. The foundation of Michigan State was uh, indelible. Uh, one of the great decisions in my life. Uh, I've been honored to be part of their Hall of Fame. But uh, I look up and I see the certificate from Michigan State for, uh, for graduating and School of Education. So these things are accomplishments that lay the foundation for uh, for more or less adult life. We can't yeah. let this go without the moment. You're a, you were a cornerback, as I recall. Yes. And, uh, and therefore, you played USC. And they had a running back who went on to some fame named O.J. Simpson. And I gather you encountered him in a game. I did. Yeah, September 67, uh, SC comes to Lansing. Exceptional game. Turned out to be 21-17. 21-17 the half. Nobody scored the second half. Um, we we did a pretty good job of bottling up, which was a, an Olympic track team they had. Um, and we had, 67 was a year after 65 and 66, where Michigan State and Notre Dame battled for national championships. And um, although we lost a significant number of players, we still were competitive. Uh, but I remember end of the first quarter, I believe, uh, first and goal on the two. And I'm thinking, uh-oh, we're in trouble here. And uh, tailback, which was OJ lined up seven yard deeps. They pitch it to him, and all of a sudden the hole opens up, and it's me and him. And of course, I'm standing on the goal line. He's got a head start, and I get as low as I can, and I launch myself, and I hit him, and his knees churn, carries me in the end zone. And, uh, you know, he kind of looks down at me, goes, Nice tackle. And, you know, I'm thinking, <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Simpson. But uh, <laughs> so uh, so I get up and uh, and I end up having four or five tackles on him, and most of them were for you know five yards or less. And it was a, a good memory. And there've been some a couple of great pictures that were taken that had made the memorabilia circuit. And um, you know, just part of history. Steve, you mentioned your foundation, and you started talking about some of the skills that your foundation's teaching some of our young ball players nowadays. You know. As a life coach myself, helping athletes transition into life outside of sports, I, I'm curious, what are some of the transferable skills that stand out to you as a player and now after life? Well, Lucy, you know, I do a lot of speaking, and I usually lead off by saying, you know, life is God's great gift to us, and what we do with it is our gift to him. And we get free will and choice. We bring nothing onto this earth in terms of, of knowledge, uh, DNA and genes, are important, obviously. Um, but as we go through life, if we continue to, to, and I think this is so important, and I think that the greatest job in life is, is being a parent, is to teach our, our kids responsibility, to teach them uh, right and wrong, uh, to nurture them, to make good decisions, because at some point they're going to leave us. And with seven kids, 
uh, Candace's, hers, mine, and ours. Uh, uh, we've had a pretty good education in trying to lay that foundation uh, spiritually, mentally, physically. So uh, I think the most important thing is for us to continue to uh, to realize or, or to teach our children uh, there's no gray area. There's black and white. There's right and wrong. Uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness are so very, very important in our life. Um, in these times, uh, the, the, the quest for equality and fairness, respect for each other, is, is, is never more important. And that's why our, our foundation wants to take these, these boys and girls, we're trying to get as many girls in the program as possible, uh, to, to learn the, the skills of working together, making a commitment, hopefully having a passion, but skills that are transferable from the field, the competitive skills of sportsmanship, uh, of sacrifice, of doing things together, uh, transfer to life. You know, I talk to, to large you know, business groups a lot of tech companies now that have a tendency to be entrepreneurish and individual about teamwork, doing things together, uh, we in, instead of me, that to, to be able to accomplish your goal together is much more satisfying than if it's an individual, because uh, that's what life's all about. It's not a, when, not a sprint, it's a, uh, it's a marathon, and we're in this together. When we come back on After the Glory with uh, yours truly, Gary Stern, Lucy Sang, and our special guest, Steve Garvey. We'll talk about the time in the major leagues, not so much on the field, but the incredible foresight that Steve had to prepare himself for life after the glory when we come back. University Credit Union has been providing a financial edge to members for over 70 years. Now you can earn more with University Credit Union. Earn up to 5% APY with a university checking account for the banking that you already do. You'll save more when you switch your deposits and loans to University Credit Union. Bank with your brain. Visit ucu.org to join today. Federally insured by NCUA. Terms and conditions apply. Have you ever wanted to experience the thrill of playing spring training baseball with some of the game's legends? At LADABC, we believe you should be able to live your dream of being a pro baseball player, and now you can. The LADABC Adult Baseball Camp is an independently owned and operated fantasy camp for men and women over the age of 30. As an independent camp, you can be a fan of any team from any city and you'll feel right at home with us. Our next camp is scheduled for November 7th through the 13th, 2021, and will be held at the historic Dodger Town Complex in Vero Beach, Florida, now known as the Jackie Robinson Training Complex. You'll play ball all week long on the best practice fields in the nation. You'll enjoy use of state-of-the-art facilities, and you'll be pampered and cared for just like a major leaguer. We invite you to visit our website and sign up for our November 2021 camp. Just go to www.ladabc.com. That's ladabc.com. And we're back on After the Glory with Steve Garvey. Uh, this is Gary Stern and my co-host Lucy Sang here. Steve, you were drafted in one of the great drafts of all time in 1968. Did your minor league work with, uh, the, of course, the late, great Tommy Lasorda, and then uh, began your career in 1969. Um, and I'm curious, you were, frankly, ahead of your time in thinking about your life after baseball through the creation of a media company. Talk to us a little about what your thought process was uh, early in your career uh, in creating a, a company like that. Well, Gary, at that time, the uh, socioeconomics of uh, sports were less in terms of uh, the true economics. But I, you know, I was around the business of the game a lot. 
So then when I started to get traction in terms of, of 74 and becoming the MVP and being approached by different companies to, to work with them, um, I started to get a, a good foundation into the, the business of America. My first uh, company was Pepsi-Cola, and I worked for them for six, seven years in the off-season in a variety of capacities, mostly marketing, communications, learning about the juice, so to speak, and, and consumer goods. Uh, and then I had you know four or five other great companies from American Airlines to Adidas to Prudential that started to broaden my understanding of, of, uh, of business. So so by the time it got to 1982 and the, uh, the end of my six-year contract and that that great run with the Dodgers, what I call the golden era. Became a free agent, and uh, unfortunately, the Dodgers made me an offer I could refuse. I was kid about that. And uh, <laughs> I end up, uh, at that time, five teams could, could draft you. It was San Francisco, Cubs, Yankees, Houston, and San Diego. Jerry Capstone and I made a little tour, and we uh, we ended up with San Diego and the great Ray Kroc, who uh, mm-hmm. is obviously infamous in, in terms of uh, buying a little company out, out of East LA called the McDonald's Brothers, making little hamburgers out out uh, <laughs> east there, and turning in that that into an empire. So, just briefly, I got a chance to meet with him one on one. He wanted me just the two of us, and I go to his La Jolla Clifftop house, and first thing he says is, "Stevie, I really want you. You can make a difference on the field and office." And thank you, sir. I appreciate it. He said, I got one problem, though. And I said, what's that, sir? He said, looks down and he pauses, you know, he takes you in. He says, I can only pay in Big Macs and French fries. <laughs> and I look at him and I go, well, you know, I'm probably going to gain a few pounds, but if you can give it to me for a lifetime, you know, we can talk. And he goes, I can come up with a few bucks, too. So, uh, Bally Smith is uh, his son when I was president, Jerry Capstein met the next day, the deal was done. So my five years began in San Diego, but I knew there was going to be life after baseball. So when I went to San Diego that first year, I established our remarketing group to get a deeper understanding into that media communications, marketing, branding. So that uh, I brought in a fellow by the name of John Boggs, a great agent now, who's like a brother to me. And I, I, I said for that five years, I had a day job. From 10 to 2, I went to the office and at that time, the America Cup was popular, of course, Dennis Conner in San Diego. That was one of our platforms. So by the time I finished my career, I had established now a business. And also in 1982, I started a career counseling company for athletes because I knew uh, I started seeing the problems with making the transition from sports to, to the real world, not just right. business, but the real world of life. So, so by uh, 82, I had Garvey Marketing Group going. We also had... Uh, uh, pay sports so that by the time I retired, I was into things that where I thought I, I could build a career, but also make a difference. Wow. Steve, you bring up that, you know, as you developed a professional career, the, the fame and, and glory in that sense did start rising as well. Can you share with us and our listeners, you know, how you managed to to balance or not balance the fame and glory that came with your job as an athlete? Well, yeah, I think it was important to be around my uh, my idols and to see how those great Dodgers conducted themselves. And it was a simpler time, obviously. They, you know, what were they making? Eight, 10, 12,000, maybe 20, you know, uh, back then. Uh, most of them had jobs in Brooklyn in the off season, which was smart because of the Brooklyn family and of course, media capital in New York. 
so I, what I wanted to do, and I, I, you know, I used to watch commercials and guys representing products and so forth. So I knew if I was able to start to capture prevalence in my career and visibility, that uh, that was important to, to get a business understanding. That laid the foundation for the understanding that, you know, after the cheering stops, I want to be prepared to take that next step into, into life and reality uh, and to develop a new career. You know, because by, yeah, it's funny, but when I retired, I was making 1.3 million, I guess, which is phenomenal, it's fabulous. But by that time, that five-year contract had been surpassed in the second year with, with three, four, five million dollar contracts. People come up and said to me, you know, I appreciate you not renegotiating. Because you remember in that area in the late 80s, 90s, guys were renegotiating because they realized that the economics of sports were passing them by. But if you don't have your word and your name to back it up, then you don't have that character and morals to your foundation in life. So by that time, that's what I made. Uh, I wanted to parlay it. You know, very few athletes, by the way, are going to make anything near what they what they make in their sports because if they don't prepare, they're, they're going to step out into a lower level uh, financial capacity. So they at least have to build, um, you know, some career knowledge and expertise. When we come back, Steve, I want to talk about the uh, and, and sort of transition to talking about these last 33 decades and more where you really and truly, unlike a lot of athletes, have never gone away in the sense of your devotion to the game, what you've given back to the game. Uh, when we come back, let's talk a little about that aspect of life uh, since retirement. Uh, with Lucy saying, I'm Gary Stern, and with our special guest, Steve Garvin, we'll be right back. Hey, this is Lucy Sang here from Resiliency. I am a certified life coach focused on working with athletes and like-minded people in finding and pursuing success in life outside of sports. My goals are to serve as an accountability partner and offer different perspectives while my clients are facing big challenges and decisions. I also lead workshops and offer group coaching on topics such as avoiding burnout or transferable skills. Follow me on Instagram at resiliency, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E -E -E underscore coaching, resiliency underscore coaching for more information. As a co-host of After the Glory, I am excited to share my expertise in working with athletes and look forward to connecting with all you listeners to learn more of your stories as well. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern along with Lucy Singh and our very special guest, Steve Garvey. Steve, um, you had an amazing career in the sense of two teams and only two teams, and you were a hero for both of them. Nobody will forget in San Diego, the 1974 walk-off, um, and then the return to Dodger Stadium where the fans really demonstrated their love for you. I'm curious about when you left the game and you've got your business plan, but there's something that's going to change, and that is the, the cheering of 50,000 fans. How did you handle that transition? Well, you know, I've always said my foundation has been faith. You know, I'm uh, Roman Catholic and, um, and being that only child and, you know, having a lot of introspective. I, I wasn't cluttered by brothers and sisters, although I wish I would have had a sister because I ended up having five daughters. And uh, <laughs> it would have been great on-the-job training to have a sister. But, um, 
you know, I always kept things in perspective. I always thought I was blessed to have been given skills to play the game, to reach the highest level, to be on exceptional teams with exceptional players and, and an iconic organization, um, to be in 10 All-Star games and five World Series and to get the, this notoriety and to do things where radio intelligence, especially to transcend the field to, to the public. I never actually missed the cheering uh, so in my mind, you know, we're in, we're in the memory business. Uh, I'll never forget those moments or the fans, the fans of the foundation. That's why whenever I go to Dodger Stadium, I go into the stadium and walk around and engage with the fans because they've given me a lifetime of, of support and adulation. And for me to touch them in ways of just communicating, you know, and being around them. But after the cheering stops, I was blessed to have had what I had and to be able to give back was very important because I understood the history of the Dodgers in baseball. And I knew that we had to nurture it. You can't keep taking and not giving back. Or especially now in this new millennium, the battle for the, the fan and the public with all these sports. And you know, cable television's changed the landscape. That's where the money comes from. Remember it wasn't too long ago where hockey had no television and it was only the Stanley Cup. So I think that uh, I learned that I never quest for anything at fan adulation afterwards. It's always been there. I was just blessed to have it. Steve, let's uh, roll into a little bit of your personal life. As uh, you've shared publicly, you are a cancer survivor. Can you tell us about your experience and you know, the work that you're doing now to support other cancer survivors? Thank you, Lucy, for bringing that up. Yes, um, you know, we we all have to affect the, yeah, yeah our um, mortality in life and when that time comes when that doctor uh, comes on the phone and, and gets the results back from a test and, and he says you have cancer and uh, you remember it specifically it's almost as if the, the clouds come over you and um, you're stunned so to speak but you know I knew number one when when uh, Dr. Mark Litwin head of urology at Michigan State at UCLA rather um, said that you do have cancer. We think it's early stages. And uh, I want you to come in, you know, next week and we're going to put a game plan together and go from there. And, you know, and, and if we men truly understand we're in this life to serve and the women in our life make the biggest difference, uh, we, we also know the women drive us to the, uh, to the appointment, ask the first uh, nine or ten questions, and invariably are the ones that end up being the wind beneath our wings. And we got to Dr. Litwin, Candace asked him the first nine questions. I finally said, Gary, what would you do? And he said, Steve, I'm 55, top of my game. Let me just take it out. And um, did a radical prostatectomy. Uh, again, through the grace of God, became cancer-free, decided to be a disciple for men understanding prostate cancer. I'm now chairman of Fans for the Cure out of New York and of course nationally um, for anybody men specifically go online fans for the cure wives go online too we have a great uh, women's group and be proactive in a type of cancer that has the highest degree of success in eradicating it to detection and awareness so it's been an honor to do that I've done hundreds of interviews and uh, and now like I said before we're in 130 minor league stadiums and major league stadiums each year with awareness nights and um, and we also have screenings. And at the screenings, if you take a blood test, you know, I give an autographed picture. If you do the actual physical test, which makes everybody cringe a little bit, <laughs> then uh, I give you a baseball. So we see how serious the guys really are. What's the website again, Steve? 
It's fansforthecure.com. Uh, uh, Ed Randall, the, uh, the great media man in, in New York, does serious shows, is the founder. And uh, we actually have a wonderful team there that's reaching and saving lives uh, as we speak. Steve, as we wrap up this episode, any last words, comments, thoughts on the topic of life after the glory days? Well, I think it's uh, I think it's so important. And pace forward and the and the way we structured that as a five step program from the initial meeting to essentially placement, uh, and even during your career, take the off season, develop your skills so that you can make that transition from on the fields or ice of play to off. Uh, preparation is so important in life, uh, and doing it together. We found it was a five hundred one c three. We talked to the athletes, number one, then we found out that the wife is the one that, again, is gonna make the decisions. Once we reached the wives, it exponentially uh, uh, increased our percentage of, uh, of placements and commitment. So preparation for life after sports is so important. God is always gonna throw you a curve to test you, but the important uh, thing is not to live in the bubble of your career, but to prepare for life after sports after the cheering stops. Wow. Steve, thank you so much for joining us today uh, with my co-host, Gary Stern. This is Lucy Singh, our special guest, Steve Garvey. Special thank you to our producer, Mark Allen, and the insane Daryl Wayne, our sound engineer. Here on After the Glory, tune in for our next episode coming up soon. Mm-hmm.